Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Otto, coming at you live Monday, May 11th. It is day 70 billion trillion gazillion quintillion million of the coronavirus lockout. Actually, it's only been two months, but it seems like that. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've had live tennis, but we did Get a little sprinkle of live tennis over the last 7 to 10 days. Some coming out from Germany and a little bit of action in Florida over the weekend. And it was interesting. It was tennis without spectators. And that takes us to our mission for today's podcast. Our next guest, Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal, has been working on an article talking about just that. Tennis without spectators. Is it feasible? Will it happen? Will it... it, Last over the next three months, six months, 12 months. There's been a lot of fascinating stories in tennis over the last couple of months. Uh, The merger of the ATP and WTA tours, or the potential merger, I should say, has been very interesting. There's also the economies and the player relief fund, of course, has been a big issue. There's also the economies of the smaller tournaments, the 250s, the 500s. Will they even survive? What's tennis going to look like once we pull out of this coronavirus pandemic? And when will we get out of it? And Brett McCormick has been working on all kinds of stories for Sports Business Journal. It's his first year on the beat for that publication, and he's been a busy man. We're very thankful that he came and discussed the notion and the concept of tennis without spectators today because there's a lot that will have to go into it for this to move forward for tennis and for it to potentially save the season and give us some live tennis Later in the summer or maybe in the fall, we'll see. Uh, You guys can follow Brett McCormick on Twitter at BrettJust1T. That's at capital B-R-E-T-J-U-S-T-1-T on Twitter. And we can get right into that interview with Brett McCormick right now. See you guys on the other side. Hey, Brett, how are you doing today? Nice to have you on. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on. I feel like it was uh, two centuries or so since we since we spoke, which was, what, a couple weeks ago? Like five or six weeks ago. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I had a feeling that we'd have to have you back early and often, and that looks to be the case. And we're already talking about another appearance for you on the podcast in a month or so to talk about a topic that we may cover a little bit later in the show but for now i know that you've got a piece that you've been working on for quite some time about tennis and tennis specifically tennis without fans how's that coming for you yeah it's um it so i mean without giving the story away too much the the gist is that the the business the business model for tennis uh is obviously you know pretty different from say the NBA or the NFL or the NHL or major league baseball. And so those are leagues that are right now, um, even UFC, those are leagues and and organizations right now that are working really hard on all these kind of like desert Island, you know, uh, biological bubble situations, you know, where they can quarantine all the teams and players and coaches and necessary personnel in one location and try to play some sort of competition. Um, to mainly to satisfy 
TV deals to, to be able to salvage something out of this year, knowing that, you know, not going to be able to have fans for a long time. And I mean, who knows, maybe even, you know, on into the year. So, yeah. so that, you know, seeing all those sports making those efforts and, and some of the plans have been really interesting, you know, especially the UFC, uh, Dana White talking about, um, he's got, uh, he's working on fight Island, which is this Island that he's, uh, procured, um, you know, where they're going to hold fights. Um, you know, some of them have been really interesting. And, and so, you know, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, could this work for tennis and pretty quickly, you know, talking to people and, and just thinking about the business model, you know, it's obvious that um, this would be much more difficult for tennis to pull off than, than most of these other uh, leagues. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, a little bit, because let, let's say that tennis does move forward. And I guess we, I flipped on my live stream today and was just watching some tennis without spectators from Florida. Yeah. Um, and that's we're going to see more of that in the coming weeks. And we saw a little bit from Germany. It's a bit strange. But let's say the tennis does decide to move forward and actually hold tournaments, maybe even a Grand Slam without spectators. Um, at the moment, it seems like there's still a lot of barriers to do to get that done safely. And I would assume some costs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I think the number one barrier is like the number one interesting thing about tennis at least in my opinion and that's how global it is so you've got logistically this would be i don't know about a nightmare but it, at least a migraine yeah right so and honestly i think this has been like one of the things that's been so kind of tiring about all this whole pandemic experience for everybody is sort of like all these logistics that you have to figure out you know to do things that in the past would have been easy and um yeah. you know holding a tour is something they've done forever but you, you've got to factor in i mean um, for example, uh, I think I found um, the, the top 100 of the ATP and the WTA have players from 47 different countries. Um, they play tournaments in uh, between 30 and 35 countries. Um, you've got, you know, the, the two of the biggest upcoming stretches for the um, for both tours are in the U.S. and China, which have been, you know, the two hardest hit um, places in the world. So, um, and then you've got to consider all of the specific and unique little um uh national and local um situations that you've got you know for example you're already seeing um i think we've got four events that have been impacted beyond the suspensions of the tours you know july 13th um beyond those because their local or national government you know has, has banned large gatherings until you know the end of august All right so you've got there there really is almost too many things to have to work out for you know international pro tennis to resume um like it was and so even that's not even getting into the on-site uh issues which are substantial for any sport you know let alone tennis when you've got people coming from all over the world so you know yeah. with, with that you've got to deal with you know you've got to deal with um mitigating uh COVID-19 which it's not clear yet really how you do that. Uh, it's also not clear how much that costs, you know, how many people that would require. Um, and then you have to consider too, you've got tennis is really a sport where you've got, uh, I wouldn't say haves and have nots, but, but you have like a, a huge disparity between the top events and the smallest events um, as far as what they're capable of. Whereas in, you know, the NBA or other leagues, um, NFL, you know, even the, the top, spenders or the richest team 
to the bottom team, that, that, that gap is much more narrow, you yeah. know, in part because the league has made it that way. Yeah. Um, tennis, you know, you can't even, I mean, can't even compare the Winston-Salem Open with the, with the tournament that comes right after the, the U S open. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so, it's so different, you know, for example, the U S open, it's 42 acres. So you could see where they could spread people out and, and create different entrances and exits and, and, you know, maybe work things out. Yeah. Um, the Winston-Salem Open, that's just going to be so much more difficult. Plus, you know, given the fact that in that specific example, they're hosted by a college, maybe the college doesn't want to have the tournament, oh, <laughs> you know, cause it's a, it's a liability. So, I mean, there's just, one of the things I've noticed in covering um, pandemic stories is, is it's like those little Russian nesting dolls. I mean, you open this story, you crack this egg and then yeah. there's another one and another one and another one and another one. And the uh-huh. logistical questions for some of this stuff are just endless. Well, yeah. And, uh, I, I think this is a great example of that. Well, you, yeah. Speaking of the Russian doll with the little Gorbachev inside, um, he's my, <laughs> my Russian figure of choice, but, um, you 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 actually taking me off script because we had our little pre-conversation about some of the issues here, but you just reminded me the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, these are collective organizations that are massive and that can move collectively as one organization and think about this collectively. But now it occurred to me as you were speaking that the ATP is, of course, in the leadership role in the WTA, but you've got 250s that are organized separately and owned you know, it just seems like they're going to have to work independently and maybe on smaller budgets for some events as far as tackling these issues. And then I was thinking there's probably costs and maybe hiring that needs to be done as far as hiring some sort of expertise about what the challenges that they might be facing if they do plan to move ahead without spectators. Yeah. So two points on that. And and you got to the first one was a good one. Like, the difference with the NBA and those leagues is they're homogenous. You know, there, there's top-down leadership. There's there's one person in charge. You know, March, uh, I can't remember what day it was. I think it was 12th or 13th. Uh, Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz comes down with coronavirus, and then Adam Silver shuts the league down. And then the NBA is done. And that's it. And even for tennis to be uh, having this kumbaya story right now of all the of the big stakeholders working together, yeah. Um, think of all the people you got to get on a zoom call (laughs) think of the different languages you have to speak think of the the just even for them to work together it's just a great effort you know it it just involves so many more people so many more opinions so many different cultures i mean so that alone is um is a a very worthy point and and is why this is so much more difficult for tennis than most other sports even the pga has a similar lpga has similar um business models to tennis but again, they have a top-down leader. You know, you have PGA, you have Commissioner Jay Monahan, who, you know, the night of the Players' Championship cancels the tournament and puts tennis or puts uh, golf on ice. You yeah. know, and so they, it's just easier to maneuver when you have uh, essentially a dictator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think you've even seen that some in in the government responses. You know, it's it's easier. Um, in some countries to, to get everybody to move in the same direction than sometimes it is in the U S where, you know, we value freedom and have so much independence in different ways. You know, it's hard to get everybody on board. Yeah. Uh, the second aspect, um, you know, I talked to Jeff Ryan, um, uh, and he's in my story a little bit, but he's the new tournament director of the Winston-Salem open, okay. um, which is a two fifty. And I had asked him about that. I was like, you know, well, couldn't you save money um, from not having fans? Wouldn't there be some sort of positive in that regard? And he said they could save, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, by not raising a grandstand 
you know, which they have kind of a temporary stadium there. Yeah. Um, that's significant for okay. them. You know, they're given their budget is, you know, probably around like $4 million or something like that. But what he doesn't know about is what's going to be required to, to make sure that the facility is safe because the last thing any of these organizations can afford is, is, you know, not only for their athletes to get sick and there to be some sort of outbreak or something like that, but also the, the publicity hit that you would take from, especially if you tried to rush back, I mean, would, would just, I, I don't think would be good. So yeah. um, I, I think all of them are, all of the organizers are, are keenly aware of that. Um, you know, do you have to, I think it becomes a situation almost like post 9-11 where you have yet extra security. I would almost consider this like, and I think I've seen the term in some um, uh, news coverage, uh, biosecurity. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're, you're trying to make sure you're maintaining a level of like sanitation and health um, that you can't really do by just like checking somebody's bag or, or, looking at somebody, you know, you have to have, it's almost a more intrusive layer of security. So, you know, yeah. taking temperature temperature and, checks, right? and yeah, or if you're going to do testing, which, you know, that that's a whole nother issue, which, um, you know, the NBA has said they need to like slow down a little bit because how does it look if they're testing every player, whether they have it or not, when, you know, major parts of the country can't get enough tests. Mm -hmm. So, and then also, how much does that cost? You know, maybe the NBA can pull that off, but can an individual um, tennis tournament that's not Wimbledon, U.S. Open, French Open, or Australian Open can they can they afford that? Right. Um, and let's, so let's face it. Biosecurity is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, cause you've got all these other things, and now you add this on top of it. So, so bio biosecurity or the the health mitigation aspect of it is really still unknown because you're going to have um, who's going to make the Who's going to set the standards? Who's going to make the uh, the protocols that have to be in place? Um, who's going to be able to meet those? You know, I mean, there's just there's so many questions that, that uh, come out of that aspect of it that nobody has the answer to. Um, and that's something that we're working on, um, you know, at SVJ is, is kind of looking at, you know, who are the companies that are in this area and, and, and like, what are they doing and, and, and things like that. I think that's kind of an interesting aspect that, um, you know, not many people know much about yet are are these companies that kind of handle stuff like this. I mean, you kind of almost think of those companies that clean your house after you had a, uh, you know, a flood or, or yeah, yeah. fire or Real something specialists. like that. You know, it's basically this. Yeah. Yeah. Companies like that. And then, but then how do you do that on the size of some of these venues? I mean, so. Yeah, and what's um, it going to cost? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna provide you with a lot more questions. Uh, than you, that's good. That's good. You get us thinking critically <laughs> and creatively about this situation. But here, but here's uh, what I'll pose to you, Brett. The big issue, okay? The the reason we want to play in an, in a very not ideal situation is that money is being lost right now, and you want to recoup some of the money or potentially <clears> get some of the players back on tour and. and Frankly, I think the tour doesn't want to become irrelevant, especially if other sports are starting to pick up and tennis is just missing from the sporting landscape. I mean, they're at risk of being, you know, forgotten for a while. And maybe that maybe that takes a toll financially. But there's a lot to talk about with money. And, and do you think that that's what is inevitably going to push this forward and make it happen for many of these tournaments? Like, Or do you still see that there's still a lot of um, in uncertainty and maybe we won't see tennis without spectators maybe maybe it just isn't an idea or a, a theory that never happens yeah i 
I lean towards probably not happening below the grand slams. So everything I'm about to say comes with a caveat is that there is two, two, uh, two categories I'm talking about here. It's the grand slams and then everybody else. Yep. So first off, if you look at the revenue, say like a revenue pie for, um, the average tennis tournament, uh, or let's start with the grand slams. Um, the grand slams are going to be more, um, like, the NBA probably as far as how much money they take from TV deals. So you've got the NFL, which um, this fall will try to play at all costs because they can, they can salvage the year based on their TV money. It's going to be the majority of an NFL team's revenue is going to come from TV money. Okay. Um, the NBA is somewhere around half. Um, and that's where you're going to find the grand slams. And the big reason for that is the global audience, you know, in the U S you may not think of the U S open as like this huge TV event, but, uh, they have hundreds of millions of viewers across the globe. So, yeah. you know, that's where we have to remember the, the global nature of tennis. Um, and then, you know, you kind of below the NBA, you probably have like the NHL and then below that probably major league baseball. And that's because major league baseball has so many games, you know, so 81 home games makes ticket revenue and game day, uh, revenue, a big part of the pie. Okay. Um, below that, I mean, you're getting towards, um, I had one person involved with a uh, tennis tournament in the U S that's not a 250. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't want their um, name or tournament on the record, but they, they take 20% of their revenue comes from TV. Um, and then Jeff Ryan, you know, at Winston-Salem Open told me that 13% of their revenue comes from TV. Mm. So the reason that the NFL and the NBA and some of these others are, are trying to figure out um, and the this desert island. And the slams are trying to figure out this desert island. Yeah, good, good, good addition. Trying to figure out this desert island situation is because they can salvage the year based on their TV contracts. They can do enough to satisfy um, TV and and some sponsorship money in that regard. Yeah. Um, another thing that's different about tennis is, so uh, again, the ticket revenue, game day revenue, the money that they get from fans being on site is, is considerable. Like it is bigger than in a lot of other sports. So that's right there. That's where most of the smaller tournaments that don't have good TV deals Mm-hmm. are really taking a big hit and where playing without fans does not make that much sense for them because they're not going to recoup that much <clears throat> from TV, especially if the cost to mitigate uh, COVID-19, right. you know, turn out to be very big. Yeah. yeah Cause you're talking um, about 13, 20% that could actually be negated by the cost to mitigate potentially, it, which is could totally end up being uh, you know, a, a fruitless effort. And, and then you also have the the sponsorship aspect of tennis is very different as well. Um, yes. A lot of sponsors get involved with the NFL because they want to be seen on TV um, or maybe you know on on in the stadium on a TV broadcast. Yep. Um, tennis, you know, that's not as much of how they do it. They re- it's really geared more toward uh, hospitality. And so, for example, like Eddie Gonzalez, who's the tennis uh, sorry the tournament director for the Atlanta Open, which is another one of the two fifties. He told me he had not even brought up the idea of playing the Atlanta Open without fans with um, that tournament's title sponsor, which is Truist, mm-hmm. uh, because you know they use the tournament for um, for hosting and client relations and things like that. It's just not even something. Again, the TV money would be so little, yeah. um, and that that you know it, it's just not even something they would bring up because they would get so little value from it if they're not able to have the suite on site and, and bring clients there and okay. impress them with the, 
cool little venue, you know, that's next to the highway in downtown Atlanta. So, so he's insinuating so, that, that it's a deal breaker in terms of um, getting the revenue money from Truist if if they went without spectators or they'd have to significantly alter the deal and take a lot less money from them. Yeah. And, and so he didn't say exactly what the change would be, but I would assume that the deal would be altered. And, yeah, and yeah. so that's where they would have, you know, and they've had a, I think they've had a good relationship with them. They, Truist was BB&T. BB&T yes. has sponsored that tournament. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the whole time that they've been in Atlanta, which I think is 10 years this year. But again, that's that's a negotiation that would be tricky. You know, what what is Truist getting now that the tournament is TV only? Um, and and granted, the TV audience may be bigger than normal because you know I think I think sports on TV are going to do really well the rest of the year. But um, but even still, you know, I mean, what are they getting compared to what they got? when they could bring clients to the event and, you know, wine them and dine them and close deals, you know, that, that in tennis tends to be much more valuable um, than in other sports. Um, yeah. Golf is a, golf is another one that's similar in that the hospitality is a, is a huge aspect of it. So. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. This see, yeah, you paint a, a sort of bleak picture about these tournaments. And I guess what do you, this, this is kind of a little out of the blue, but what do you think the, tour leadership is in, on these discussions do you think they're trying to make a way make it work in in a way by either maybe helping financially or doing whatever they can to push it forward again because the point i mentioned about the tour remaining relevant maybe when other sports are starting to kick in and play do you sense there's any kind of thrust like that or, or you, but you you just said you're not hopeful that we'll see any tennis without spectators except for the slams so you think we'll just yeah, and, and so I, it's a hard to say because again the the tournaments are all so different. Yeah. So there may be situations where you had, um, hold on, I had a list of postponed tournaments. I don't have it in front of oh, me, but yeah, it's a big um, one. Tournaments that are tournaments that are postponed that haven't you know outright canceled yet. Um, I think Rome was on that list. I mean, for example, Rome may do uh, TV ratings and TV money in in Italy that that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it really, it depends on the situation. Yes. But on average, you know, below the slams, it's not going to be as valuable. Um, for example, I mean, Indian Wells is still suspended. It's it's not canceled. So um, I actually checked with them yesterday on that. Um, so Indian Wells is one that you could see TV money being a bigger share for them than most other tournaments. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a pretty, pretty decent deal with ESPN. For sure. Um, Miami Open would be similar. Um, but you know, again, those are thousands. And so, you know, once again, when you get below that, it, it, it's hard to say. You also have to consider if a tournament is a, is a um, dual WTA and ATP event, that may, that may help their TV situation as well. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I don't know what the tours can do. Um, I know they're going to try to cobble together something towards the end of the year. You know, again, like players are independent contractors, so they need to play to be uh, earning money. Um, yeah. I know there's some, you know, some thoughts to do that, but you really have to weigh it against, I mean, is it, is it feasible and is it smart? Is it health, you know, is it health smart to yeah. do it? And, and those are questions they're having to do. I know that, um, you know, for example, Jeff Ryan told me that Winston Salem is, they're doing modeling all the time. And so I think all the tournaments I think are, are constantly doing math, constantly updating spreadsheets, constantly, updating uh forecasts and things like that and i think that's probably um i don't know this for a fact but i think that's probably what is going to dictate a lot of what 
the ATP and WTA are able to do is what the tournaments tell them is, is feasible. Yeah. Um, and they may even be helping them with that kind of modeling. Um, you know, certain tournaments may be able to do that better than others, depending on, you know, their personnel. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they, uh, Jeff Ryan was not, he, he had the view that if it could work out, like everyone would be all for it. But the question is just if it can work out, like it's just going to be really, really complex. And then can you do it in a way that's equitable for everybody? Because you can't leave people out from certain countries, you know, or, or, I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. Or, um, the other, the other thought might be is if you tried to do something more regional, but then that would be almost a completely different setup than what they have right now. So, yeah, um, they seem unwilling. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, it, it, right. And and then again, like you said, you've got all these all these entities that pull in different directions. I mean, oh, yeah. Um, You're not even you know, mentioning... It, that's going to make it harder. Yeah, we're not even talking about the fact that, that you mentioned earlier, which is the play, top 100 with players from 47 different countries who are all very <clears throat> likely at home and have to get on flights and face poss- potential government restrictions. I mean, it's not like we're anywhere near being out of this pandemic. No, which is tough no, to, especially, tough to especially with the part of the tour that's coming up. I mean, it's in the U S you know, like, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, like say, uh, Tsitsipas who lives in probably is in Greece. Oh, maybe he's not, but I mean, it, you know, he's, he's from Greece. Greece right. is actually, Greece is done, done well. okay with, um, yeah, they've done okay with coronavirus. Does he want to come to the U S I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, like, and these are ind- independent contractors. So they really can, they can choose if they want to do it or not. I yeah. mean, I don't think, tennis would would mind as long as they had enough to have a tournament but um you know there's just a there's a lot of complications there i mean and and so the business model of tennis just does not really lend itself to doing this uh very easily and 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 there's probably going to be a large percentage of the tournaments where it's just not feasible and i think that's where you've already seen a lot of them just cancel you know i i think those you know a quick modeling or a quick projection would have shown them like let's not even worry about this. Let's just eat it and, and we'll move on to next year, you know, and, and try to work out with sponsors, you know, what we're going to do for next year. But yeah. I, I think um, the ones that are interesting to watch are the ones that postponed, um, you know, like for example, Roland Garros, they, they probably really need to play that tournament this year, given the, the financial uh, burdens they've taken on with all their renovations and, and stadium work. A lot of, so, they have a lot of debt. So there's the perception, right? there's going to be great motivation for them to try to make that happen. And, you know, the ones that don't outright cancel, you kind of, you kind of have to wonder like, okay, so maybe they either just really want to have their tournament, which I mean, of course, every tournament wants to take place. Um, Or maybe there's some other, you know, um, uh, factor at work, you know, either they think they can make this work without fans or, you know, they're just really desperate and they need need to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And do do you have a, same subject, but but moving it along a little bit. Do you have a feel for what it's like for, let's say, Tennis Channel um, relies on revenue from from advertisers, relies on having the, the sport there, um, maybe not happy about having to refund refund subscribers and that sort of thing. I mean, they must be looking, they must be really hoping that things move forward with or without spectators. Or, or would you say they're taking a hit either way, also? Yeah, that's hard to say because, you know, I mean, a, a large quantity of their subscribers come from cable. So in, in that regard, they have a pretty stable um, revenue base, I would think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you're probably talking about like their OTT people, their, the people that, um, subscribe to their streaming service. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, they're okay as long as some sort of tennis happens. Uh, of course they would love for the tours to be taking place, because that would probably be easier. But I mean, I, I think they're, I think you're going to see a lot more of the exhibitions popping up. Yep. I think tennis channel will be actively involved in kind of setting some of those up. You know, I talked to, um, Max Eisenbud from IMG earlier this week, and he mentioned they're working on some some stuff, you know, because they've got um, clients, uh, you know, they represent basically anybody that's important, but um, they've got clients that live in similar areas, and, you know, they'll be able to set up some stuff for them. Yeah. So I think Tennis Channel is okay as long as they can keep putting some tennis on there. I think it, what would have hurt them is if they had to continue showing um, just replays of classic matches and just, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the greatest Wimbledon matches ever and things like that. Mm. I, I think the greatest TikTok people dancing. probably, yeah, I'm, I'm good <laughs> on TikTok. I could, could do without it. But, um, you know, I think, I think that stuff is going to start wearing off. And I think that's one of the urgencies that sports um, leagues and organizations feel right now is that there is like an opportunity because there is such a dearth of uh, sports to watch. You know, people are, I think, kind of, tiring a little bit of, of not having much to watch and yeah, it, yeah. you know i mean i've watched um korean tennis uh korean soccer um belarusian tennis belarusian soccer um taiwanese baseball you know just to just to see what it looks like but yeah. i mean um people are getting kind of desperate and so i think that's where you know these exhibitions i think will do pretty good numbers probably and um i think we'll start seeing more of those um especially you know if the tours suspensions get get bumped along again i think you're going to see Um, more of this happening and also because you know we're starting to figure out a little better how to navigate this world where you know you need to wear a mask pretty much anytime you go in public um, yeah hopefully um and so you know we're we're figuring out some of these questions you know how do you how do you do something like this and and for a regionalized little exhibition in florida where you can control how many people are going to be there's no spectators and um that's another aspect. Tennis Channel can broadcast um, any of these tournaments from anywhere um, because, you know, they have remote capabilities that are highly sophisticated. I mean, Ken Solomon told me in, uh, I think it was in March, that they could they could put on the French Open from their Santa Monica headquarters and people would never know it. No, that, that's, so, that's good to know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they have really, really um, um, strong capabilities to, to broadcast remotely yeah. so i think you start seeing more of that and, and as long as those exhibitions keep taking place um or even you know tennis without fans i think they'll they'll be able to um do just fine because again the, the cable su- subscribers are the biggest uh bulk of their um viewers yeah good point i i think um tennis now spoke with carlos silva wtt ceo and, yeah. and he says he's feeling there's, there's a lot of pent-up demand out there of course they're desperately trying slash hoping to get their season kind of located to one venue to pull it off and i think he knows that if it if it does happen and if it does go down and if it is televised there'll be uh, a lot of people eager to watch so i mean so you make a good point about television being yeah in, i have i have shape. strong um i have uh, uh, uh like i feel i feel strongly that they'll be able to pull pull off what they're trying to do because the way it's set up 
it's so much easier to navigate than a world tour. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, they're they're much more like an American sports league than than you know the ATP or WTA tour. So um, I was glad to see them say that this week. I think I think that's something they can they can make it make it happen. Yeah, just kind of slick getting everybody somehow safely into one city and then and rolling from there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and you know, it shows a commitment. And also some intelligence, you know, doing it smartly and getting it out to the people. I think it's um, that would be nice. I mean, we're all kind of we're all craving to watch something live. I heard that Jordan, yeah, that Jordan documentary that was recently released is like you know completely viral at this point. People are just desperate for sports, right? Right. NFL draft. I mean, you NFL know, best draft, ratings right. ever. Um, yeah. So it's great. Um, Brett McCormick, Sport Business Journal. Um, you guys need to be following him. He's been. Covering it, what tennis just for started this year for you, right, Brett? Yeah, so like this is what every year in tennis is like, right? No, oh, yeah, yeah. So you had a really, I mean, this is a, seriously, <laughs> a, I mean, you know, it's <clears throat> got to be um, in a way rewarding because there are a lot of things to to get. get your job is important. Getting getting the, the news out of what's happening to the public is probably more important than ever before. It used to be simple. We just watch the matches, enjoy them, read read some commentary here and there. Of course, there's always business going on, but I would think this is the biggest year. You'll you'll never forget this one. That's for sure. Not, not that any of us will. Yeah, no. This is this is in uh, sports business journals wheelhouse. I mean, uh, you know, all the it's all the stuff that's behind the scenes. You know, which really blew me away when, because I worked at newspapers for a dozen years and covered sports like it's covered. You know, covered the scores and the games and and you know trans- transactions and things like that. I mean, um, it's there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that you that you the average fan never knows about. Um, and and this pandemic has really brought a lot of that stuff to the forefront, which has made a lot of people uncomfortable because these are things they don't like to t- talk about or think yes. about. You know, and um, we should have known, I should have known when I started reading about um, event cancellation ins- insurance in January with the Australian Open, you know, with the wildfires. Yeah. That should have been an omen that, you know, maybe something was coming down the pipe because I had never heard that term before. And, you know, I can tell you a lot more about that subject now than I ever could have, uh, you know, before December 31st, 2019. Yeah, yeah no, I think, <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, your work is especially important to me right now, and I, I enjoy these enlightening experiences. I mean, there's so much to find out, and I think for me personally, it's been a good time to really dig in and try to understand what is going on with the tours. And of course, another subject that we're going to just dabble in before I let you go, um, some of the big things that are happening in tennis, this talk of tour unity, this this talk of, this talk of an ATP-WTA merger. I mean, there are a lot of interesting things going on, even in this uh difficult pandemic right now and really thought provoking things. And I wondered if you have any initial thoughts about this potential merger to share with us. Yeah. So I, I wrote down, um, when you sent me this, I wrote down three questions that I had, um, about this situation, um, you know, with the ETP and WTA possibly joining. So that, I mean, the first question is like, what, how do we even phrase it? Is it a full legit merger? Or is it like something less complete, like they would come together under the same umbrella, but maintain like, you know, separate business? Yeah. Um, so that's the first question. Like how, 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 uh, are they getting married? Are they <laughs> moving in together? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, are they just, ta- are they just, right now, I guess they're just texting. Yeah, um, it's a hookup. So, yeah, it's, it's a hookup right now. So that's the first, that's the, that was the major question I had. And then the second one I had was, 
Like, why did Federer publish his tweet when he did? Was it strategic or, like, was he snowed in, you know, on a Swiss mountaintop in his castle and, like, just got bored? Yeah. Um, because it's clear that, that something is happening. Like, you know, Rafa's tweet right after that kind of underscored that. And then Godenzi and uh, Steve Simon, you know, in, in the week since have, have really, uh, even Mickey, Mickey Lawler have really, um, you know, added uh oxygen to the to the smoldering fire there so yep. it's clear that they're like discussing this you can imagine also that it's not exactly like number one on the to-do list given that all the cleanup that they've got but right. um you know but i just want to know why did he publish that tweet when he did right. do, you, <laughs> and then, do you have a theory i've i've got mine i don't i don't have a theory i i, I mean but I, I just think it's important to know because he lent he lends so much credibility to the idea yeah. but wh well, what is your theory i, I mean he's, he's, he's it's crucial to have federer on board and then nadal backing him yeah Some, i mean they can sway public opinion with with tweets like that and they have my theory is is speculative but i feel like godenzi's been on this even before the pandemic and i feel like yeah. the sense of urgency urgency rose when the pandemic hit and i think that he knows federer pretty well having known him and played with him and i think that he bent his ear and asked for it to happen that's my theory i could i could definitely see that i'll tell you too that um when i interviewed mickey lawler in january i was writing a profile about her um she brought this up without me even asking about it so uh, i think um yeah, 100% it was one of the what i've heard it was one of the things that got in the um talked about like as he was getting the job you know yeah, it, was, yeah. it was one of the things that put him over the top you know was this was this idea that um a united the united tours could however that looked it, it didn't matter because as long as they were united that would be better than what than what it was yeah. which i i totally agree with um and then, so my third my third question and thought was yes um is the pandemic like this unique moment in history creating more of an impetus that like actually make that happen or is it just like a kumbaya moment and it will kind of evaporate as soon as like serious talks ever began? You yes. know, is it, is it the good feeling or is there like, or is there like really something there that they can, that this is going to give them the, you know what, this is the time we have a year off, uh, essentially. Uh, I think we'll have a year off. Um, oh. Let's dig in and like, and see if this can like really go somewhere because what it could do for the sport, I think um, is worth pursuing. Yes, absolutely. I think a lot of people seem to feel that way. I mean, I mean, it's it's encouraging to to see. I'm I'm happy a that it happened and b that it's not moving so fast that we're, that it doesn't seem like this kind of um, you know a takeover of sorts. And it it, right. it feels yeah. like there's going to be a time for it to simmer, and a lot of dis discussion and dialogue is going to take place. And and I think that's a good sign. It's nice that it's out there and it's been floated, and now everybody's considering it. And I think now we settle in and really. At some point, kind of, there's there's a lot of stuff to work out. Obviously, finances. The, the 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 tours aren't exactly doing the same type of revenue, and they yeah they're they're both in the tennis business, but there's a lot of differences that will need to be smoothed out. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating stuff, and I hope we can talk about that next time we chat. Um, that would be whew, that could be an even an even longer podcast. That could be a two parter because because <laughs> I think it's yeah to, to me it's the most exciting thing that's happening right now out of the many many exciting things. Um. I guess the last subject, if you don't mind, we could we could hit on is this uh, player relief fund. Um, it's not really been officialized yet, though we do know I think we have six million dollars for eight hundred players, both tours. It's, and again, it's nice to see the tours working together on this. Uh, any initial takeaways from from that movement? 
Yeah. Um, again, this is this is like indicative of tennis in that you've got you know such. Um, it, it depends on each individual's situation of of whether this how much this will help. Um, you know, like when I talked to Noah Rubin in March, I mean he's he's got a really um, a side hustle with behind the racket that's really starting to to bring him some income and, and yep. take off. And he said he had, you know, he had uh, squirreled away money from, from the seasons that were really good for him, yeah. you know, so he, he was in an okay shape, but you know, there's going to be plenty that are, that are not, and, and that are leaning on their family support and, you know, straining, potentially straining their families right now. So yeah, um, I think, I think how much this helps each player, it, it depends on how it's divvied up and, you know, there's been very little specific so far. I mean, um, I think something that would help just as much would be as if you could string together a bunch of exhibitions or kind of regionalized competitions that would allow people to play, even if the, the prize money was, was less. I mean, you know, if you had uh, players ranked from 100 to 300 that, you know, 20 of them were able to get together in South Florida and play for 25,000 bucks, I mean, that's going to help more than nothing, you know, especially right now. I mean, they're not spending money. So, yeah. um, I think this is a good start. I mean, I think it's a good faith effort. I don't know how long, how far it will go, you know, as far as helping people. But again, I, I think it's kind of, you look at the 2000 bucks a month that, that the American government sent to people. I don't know if that <laughs> kept anybody from being homeless, but it, it might have, you know, yeah. and, and then um, I'm sure everybody that got it was, you know, somewhat appreciative of it. So I, I, I would view this in the same light. I don't think it's going to necessarily save anybody's bacon, but you know, I think it's, I think it's something they needed to do. I mean, it's almost a PR move as much as anything, but mm-hmm. they, they needed to do something. Um, and then I think working to create some, some exhibitions and like little mini tournaments and stuff is, is the next thing to do because, um, you know, there is money in tennis. It's just got to get sprinkled out just like there's money in the United States that <laughs> some people have a lot of it and some people don't, you know, you kind of just got to find ways to get it, get it to the people that need it. And um, I, I think tennis will do that just beyond just this relief fund, which I think was a, a good initial move. Cool. Thanks, Brett. Uh, Brett McCormick, Sport Business Journal. You are the man. I really appreciate your time and the, the enlightenment that I've received from you today, and I look forward to doing it again in the not-too-distant future. Um, where can people find you on social and online and know more about the business of tennis? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at BrettJust1T, so it's B R E T. J-U-S-T, number one, and T. Um, you'll find find most of my stuff there. Um, our sports business journal is mostly behind a paywall. We are doing a nightly uh, newsletter. I've seen um, those. Focused on the, yeah, focused on the impacts of COVID-19, and it's it's um, in front of the paywall and free. And, I mean, it's a crash course in sports uh, sports business. So um, I would reckon, recommend checking those out. Um, uh, that's at sportsbusinessjournal.com and uh in the newsletter section um those are pretty informative uh for the you know the average person that doesn't pay attention to sports business too much so would love it if you guys check that out cool thanks brett thanks for all your hard work and uh let's talk again soon okay and you be safe yeah thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it chris this edition of the lucky let cord podcast is a wrap special thanks to brett mccormick of sports business journal for joining us And tennis fans, keep your eyes out for Tennis Without Spectators. Could be coming to a venue near you in the not-too-distant future. 
All right, let's get to social media. You guys can follow Tennis Now on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis now. You can follow us on Twitter at tennis underscore now. We're on Instagram. And of course, you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Just type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast to your search engine. Voila, you shall be there. We love it. If you rate, review, subscribe, it would mean a lot to us. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. You guys stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.